Allison Barkoff, and I'm the senior official performing the duties of administrator and assistant secretary for aging at the administration for community living. But you can just say I lead the administration for community living. So what inspired you to support people with disabilities? Um, I have been involved in disability advocacy almost my entire life. I'm a sibling and um, my brother was born at a time when um, people with disabilities and their families like mine were told there was no place really in society for people with disabilities. This was in the 1970s. Um, and my family was really part of the first generation of people who said, we want to have our siblings, our family members be part of the community with us. And really from a young age, my family was part of the disability community that was really fighting for inclusion of people with disabilities, fighting for services and supports to help people with disabilities. Uh, participate in their own communities and part of a civil rights movement that was about creating disability rights law. So for me, I come to this work both personally and professionally and I've really, um, it's kind of at the core of, of who I am as a person. What did it mean to you to become ACL's leader? It was pretty amazing. Um, I have been uh, in professionally in the disability advocacy community for more than 25 years. Um, I'm a disability rights lawyer and I have um, uh, worked on disability policy for a very long time. And um, I actually was in federal government uh, at the US Department of Justice doing disability rights work. At the time, the administration for community living was started in the Obama administration. It was really exciting to see the creation of a single agency really focused on this incredible principle of all people, regardless of age or disability, of level of support needs, have a right to live in the community and bringing together really from across the federal government, a whole set of programs that make that right real for people. So I have worked with ACL for since its inception, which I think we, we are now are hitting about 12 years that we've been in existence. Um, when I was asked to join the administration and I joined on the first day of the Biden administration, 12.01 PM on January 20th, um, and when I was asked to join ACL, it really was such an incredible culmination of um, the personal with the professional. The mission of ACL is so aligned with my own personal mission, which is about really making sure that everyone has those opportunities to be accepted and included in society. Um, so it was incredible. And I joined at just such what to me felt like a pivotal time. We were at the peak of the COVID pandemic and people with disabilities, as you probably know, were just so incredibly impacted by the pandemic in every single way. You know, people were at higher risk of death and, and getting infected. So many people had lost services and supports. Um, people had become isolated. And it really was a time where I felt like I could bring my expertise and my passion into the government to really make sure that federal policies were considering front and center disabled people and their needs in federal policy. 
Um, so it was just an incredible opportunity. I will say that it is one of the most mission-driven organizations. I think, and I, I was going to say in all of federal government, that is true, but I have been in and out of government and also spent lots of time in mission-driven nonprofits. And ACL staff could rival the most mission-driven nonprofit out there too. And just the incredible commitment, the opportunity, um, you know, it, it was and has been really a once in a lifetime opportunity and and is such a privilege to work at such an important place at an important time. What are some of the things you've learned from your brother? Oh, like who I am as a person is because of my brother. I, I learn from him every day. You know, I talk to my kids a lot about inclusion, you know, not just about people with disabilities, but acceptance in general. And I think, you know, my experience with Evan has really, really taught me to see people for who they are, see people's strengths, and really be accepting of all different types of diversity, whether we're talking about disability, whether we're talking about, you know, people who speak other languages, whether we're talking about people who are LGBTQI. And I feel like, um, you know, it, it's taught me about how to be intentional and being inclusive. You know, sometimes when I think about disability, there, there are really two issues that are different. Sometimes people have stereotypes and biases about people with disabilities. And, you know, what I have seen with Evan is oftentimes exposure to people with disabilities changes that. So when Evan was born, there weren't people in the community. Evan has Down syndrome. There were not people with intellectual and developmental disabilities broadly participating in the communities or in a classroom with other students at that time. People were primarily segregated in institutional settings away from the community. Now, I think if you talk to most kids, even most people, they'd say, oh yeah, I, I know someone with a disability. They were in my class. I see them, you know, out in the community. They're in my church or in my synagogue. And I think, you know, Evan has shown me really the, the best way to eradicate the parts of discrimination that are about stereotypes and biases exposure. The second thing that I've really seen and I continue to see is oftentimes people with disabilities are invisible. It's more benign neglect. You know, it's that we don't think about it. We don't think about how to make things accessible. Um, and I think that's one thing I've really learned a lot from Evan and I translate is really, you know, seeing and thinking ahead about how can we make sure everyone is comfortable? It doesn't just benefit people with disabilities, it benefits everyone. And so, you know, I have learned so much from Evan about perseverance, about working hard, about, you know, disability pride and being proud of, of, of who you are, about being inclusive, about being patient, um, about being a great advocate. Again, I, I can't overstate that I am who I am because I am Evan's sister. And, you know, every day I get up and I have a picture of what Evan's life is. He's, he's very lucky. He's worked very hard for the life that he has. 
But I think about every day the people who don't have those opportunities. And that's what really motivates me, the fire in the belly. Really every day is to make sure everyone, everyone has those opportunities. Can you tell me a little bit about ACL and its mission? Sure. Um, the Administration for Community Living is a agency inside of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And we were created in 2012, as I mentioned, to really bring together programs from across the Department of Health and Human Services and then eventually from other parts of the federal government, really focused on one goal. As I said, it's about ensuring all people, regardless of age, disability, level of support needs, have true opportunities to live in and fully participate in their communities. Um, we do a couple things. One is very importantly, we serve as the advisor to the secretary on aging and disability policy. And so a lot of what you see coming out of the Department of Health and Human Services and really the highest levels of government is because we play an important role in making sure the unique needs of disabled people and older adults are really considered and centered in federal policies. We also fund a network of about 20,000 um, uh, aging and disability community-based organizations. They are in every single state and in almost all communities, and they provide a wide range of community-based services and supports. So they might be the organizations that provide in-home services to older adults or people with disabilities, or help connect them with things like accessible transportation or housing supports or how to navigate healthcare. Um, they also provide legal advocacy. So people oftentimes need help, whether it's you know, navigating special education services in schools or maybe appealing denial of benefits. And then we also are engaged in research. We have a research arm, uh, the National Institute on Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, that plays a really important role in developing um, research that is focused on all the different ways that, um, that people with disabilities um, can and should be included in society. What are some of the biggest challenges right now for people with disabilities to live in the community? Yeah, one of the biggest things that we are seeing is the fact that people, many, many people with disabilities need services and supports to be able to live and participate in the community. And to get those services and supports, there's really two pieces to this, what the president calls kind of the caregiving infrastructure. Some people get those services and supports from family caregivers. And more and more and more as people age, um, you know, as people have challenges, particularly throughout COVID accessing resources, people are relying on the 53 million family caregivers um, that, that provide supports and services and really are the backbone to what we call the long-term care system. But people have a right to, and many people get, um, long-term services and supports through paid services. And we call that workforce direct care workers. We are having an incredible shortage 
in the workforce. You know, people often think about it and hear about it a lot on the news about the workforce shortages with doctors or with nurses or other types of professionals, but we are truly having a crisis in this workforce that provides services to people with disabilities and older adults. Um, as we saw in COVID, you know, a lot of a lot of people lost services and supports um, and had to rely on caregivers. And we had always had kind of a, a bubbling issue with this workforce with, you know, a high turnover rate. These jobs are incredibly important, but they are not paid the wages that they deserve. There often aren't opportunities for advancement or training. And many people often, you know, enter this workforce because they love caring and, and helping people, and then they don't stay, large turnover rate. Well, what we saw is the demand for people to stay in their own homes and not go into congregate settings like nursing homes just grew so much in COVID. I mean, as, as most people probably know, the places that were hit the hardest um, with COVID were places like nursing homes and other congregate settings. So this demand for people to age in place, to stay in their own homes has grown and grown and grown. Um, but right now, because of the challenges with the workforce, despite this huge demand, there is more than 70% of providers who are turning down referrals. And more than half are closing down services. So we have the demand here. And, and on the other end, we have you know just, just a real crisis. So it's such a significant issue that actually President Biden talked about it in the State of the Union, the issues facing the direct care workforce and family caregivers and people trying to age in place. And earlier this year issued an executive order face, uh, focusing on the care infrastructure. Um, ACL has a number of initiatives nationally to focus on both parts of that care infrastructure. Um, we have launched a national direct care workforce um, capacity building center to really help strengthen that workforce. And we have been part of developing the first ever national strategy to support family caregivers that we submitted to Congress and to the public last year that we're starting to implement. So workforce and the caregiving infrastructure is definitely an incredibly important piece. Um, a second thing that we really focus on a lot is what I would call kind of social determinants of health or SDOH. You know, oftentimes when we think about what it takes for people to be healthy, People think about healthcare, but it's a whole lot of other things that actually impact your health. You know, do you have housing? Do you have access to education? Do you have access to accessible transportation? Um, and for ACL, we really play this pivotal place around social determinants of health by partnering with other federal agencies. So we have initiatives that relate to, for example, how to um, ensure people with disabilities and older adults can find accessible, affordable housing. Our community makes up a huge part of the homelessness population. And again, it's such an important issue that we think about um, housing as part of health. Same with transportation. We have partnerships with the Department of Transportation around accessible transportation. Again, if you can't 
access any type of transportation and you're stuck at home, that means you won't be able to get a job. Um, you won't be able to make it to a doctor's appointment. So I'd say social determinants of health is, is another really important place. And then the last thing that I'll just focus is really thinking about issues around underserved communities and how we make sure our programs are reaching everyone. You know, we are really using this intersectional lens, thinking about the fact that there are underserved communities, whether we are talking about communities of color or rural communities or communities of people who don't speak English or the first language or people who are LGBTQI plus, and people with disabilities and older adults across all of those populations. And a disabled person of color faces different barriers than either a white person who has a disability or a, a person of color who doesn't have a disability and really looking at how do we really intentionally think about that. We've been thinking a lot at HHS about health disparities and how different communities, you know, really don't live as long, have higher burdens of disease. We certainly saw that in COVID. Um, and so again, thinking through that intersectional lens about health disparities and disability and aging, um, we were really pleased through collaborative work that we did with the National Institutes of Health that just last month, they designated people with disabilities as a health disparities population, which opens up a whole set of funding to really look at what are the causes and solutions to the health disparities that people with disabilities face. And then finally, I'd put in that bucket work that we are doing to really ensure that civil rights protections are modernized. We saw a lot in COVID, things like disabled people being told, you have to get at the back of the line to access a ventilator or someone being in a hospital and you know, getting a do not resuscitate order put in their files without their consent, just based on this conception that their life is worth less. So ACL has been partnering with HHS's Office for Civil Rights on updating um, disability rights regulations. So those, those are some of the big buckets of priorities. Of course, we work on issues like um, employment and, and um, aging with and into a disability and really looking across uh, those issues. But um, those, are, those are some of our key priorities right now. How can people learn more about ACL? Well, a great place to go is our webpage, um, acl.gov. And we really try to have a lot of information, not only on that webpage, but we work really hard to get information out to the public. I'd encourage people to go to the acl.gov webpage and sign up for our listserv. You know, we try to share information that we think will be of interest to the aging and disability communities. One thing, just for example, that we send out about every other week on our listserv is there's so much happening across the federal government that impact people with disabilities and older adults, but it's really hard to track. So every two weeks we do a policy roundup and we share what are other federal agencies doing and what does that mean? And are there opportunities to engage? 
Um, when major things happen, for example, uh, regulation might come out, as I mentioned, as an example, the Office for Civil Rights Regulations um, updating these disability rights laws. We really try to put together blogs and plain language fact sheets and opportunities for webinars so people can understand what does this mean and how to engage. Um, we really try to get out information to people. Obviously, throughout COVID, we've been a huge resource to try to help people understand, you know, what should you do and how do you, how can you help get, uh, you know, if you need help getting a vaccine, you know, is a site accessible? Is there transportation? We have all of that information. And another resource I just really like to share with you is that we have two national hotlines that are really helpful in connecting people with resources in their own communities. You can get to them from the acl.gov webpage. Um, we have the Disability Information and Access Line, or DIAL. And you can call by phone, you can text, there's a web page, and you can go there and they can help you with a whole wide range of connections, you know, whether you're looking for, um, you know, anything related to COVID and how to get a vaccine, if you're looking for how do I find information about my healthcare options or transportation or housing or in-home supports. And we have a similar national hotline for older adults called Elder Care Locator. And again, both of them are really great resources. We have great materials on acl.gov. And again, I can't encourage you enough to sign up for our listservs. We send just really helpful information, really intending it to be accessible and plain language so people can really understand government and what the work we're doing means for people in the communities that we serve.